Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Don't rush into getting in a deal just to get a deal. Take your time, make sure it feels right, and that whoever you're going to be working with. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, for all my fix and flippers out there, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by lowering your loan payments to the bank or maybe your private lender? Well, our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, you know Patch of Land, they've been on the show, representatives of their company have been on the show many times, they've been a sponsor of this show many, many times, they're back for more because they love you and they love working with the best ever listeners and they've got an interesting point of view on interest rates and that is that it's the interest rates that we are quoted shouldn't necessarily be taken at face value because perhaps a higher interest rate could actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And they have a white paper on how that is possible and how that can be applied to your fix and flip business to help your bottom line get more profitable and to help you choose the best a lender for your financing needs. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and they've got a white paper for you and it will walk you through the way to evaluate interest rates in terms in general on your loan so that you truly are getting the best interest rate because there are some tricky things some lenders try to do to um, glaze over the fact that their lower interest rate, quote unquote, is actually higher based on some technical things that they put into it. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and get that white paper so that you can save money on your fix and flip projects. Patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff with us today. Brian Adams. How you doing, Brian? I'm wonderful, Joe. How are you doing, buddy? I am wonderful as well, and nice to have you on the show. We've talked a couple times, well, more than a couple times over the phone. We've known each other for a while, and in fact, we spoke on the same stage probably three, four, maybe five years ago in New York at a RIA event in New Jersey, I think. You remember that? I do remember that, Joe. Yeah, that was a long time ago, and looking forward to catching up with you, learning about what you're up to now. Brian is the founding member of... Adams Investor Group, which is a company dedicated to creating wealth for others. 
and he is a practicing certified public accountant specializing in real estate taxation and forensic accounting. His team currently owns single-family homes and small and large multifamily apartment communities. He's based in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. With that being said, Brian, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, sure, Joe. My real focus, I've actually liquidated all my single-family homes and small moles. I really target large multifamily deals, 200-plus unit value-add deals. As you mentioned, my background is a CPA with real estate taxation, forensic accounting. Many years ago, back to, let's say, 2000, I was working at some really top-tier firms and started advising my clients from a tax perspective of how to save money, mitigate tax, and all these other good things. And lo and behold, Joe, I got to see how these high net worth individuals were creating their wealth. And it was through real estate investing. Mm-hmm. So as the years progressed, I started deep diving more into, from a tax planning perspective, realizing that they were creating their cash flows from large multifamily deals. So at the end of 2008, I kind of had the aha moment, like, oh my goodness, if my clients are doing this, let me start putting together a plan to go after large deals. So in 08, I bought a duplex, had a vacancy, filled that vacancy, started generating really good cash flows. And then I really knew I could scale. So in 2009, I tried to buy a 132 unit deal. I knew a big jump from a duplex to a large multifamily, but I knew my clients were doing it. And looking back, I realized now that I was a little bit maybe too new to the game. And it's always about adding value. So as I was looking my wounds a little bit, realizing that this large deal didn't go through, I put together a strategic plan to work with others that were creating or going after large deals. And I partnered with them to acquire a 270 plus unit deal. We bought that asset in 2010 for four and a half million and it appraised at 12 million on the day of purchase. And I was kind of like, oh my goodness, if I can do this just as a, at that time, I was just what would be deemed a passive investor, not an active investor. And at the end of 2011, Joe, I decided that I spent all this time as a CPA, working long hours, not seeing my wife and young girls at the time. I just realized that the juice or my passion had shifted from being the really good CPA. And I really wanted to focus more on real estate investing, specifically multifamily. So at the end of 2011, I quit my job. I pushed all my chips in and quit my CPA job at a top 100 law firm to start my own business, Adams Investor Group. Out of the gates, it was very challenging, but now I've bought and sold over 2,300 units and life has been good, man. It's been great. I'm blessed that I work with some really good investors and I'm very prudent because as a CPA, I want to be conservative with my investment model and really target deals that make sense across the board. All right. Some follow-up questions for you based on what you said. Let's see. The first question is the 130 unit you looked at in 2009. You said you were licking your wounds and didn't go through. What happened with that deal? I was trying to be the lead dog. What I mean by that is trying to be the guy, put the deal together, try to be a loan sponsor and raise all the money and do all the things that I do now, actually. But at that time, I was just too new to the game. I didn't know how all the puzzle pieces worked. So as I was trying to put this deal together, it didn't come together. There's a period of time when your money becomes non-refundable. And I realized that I just wasn't able to pull the trigger and get the deal done. So fortunately, I was able to get my earnest money back, but I licked my wounds because I did spend monies 
for an attorney and putting together a, a PPM, private placement memorandum and inspections. And there was a lot of sunk cost. So that's what I meant by like kind of licking my wounds, like, oh my goodness, I've lost money here. But to kind of fail in this game a little bit and you got to pick yourself up and realize, okay, what did I do right here and how can I get better at kind of learning the ropes a little bit better? How much money would you say you put into that deal that didn't close? 30 30 grand. It's not chump change, right? No, (laughs) it's not, but it's a good lesson. And just for best ever listeners who want to be educated on the money required to close these types of deals... Can you break out that 30K that you put into that deal that you didn't get back where that money went from in just the major chunks? Sure. Generally speaking, your attorney to draft a PSA, a purchase and sales agreement, that could range 2,500 to 3,500. It really depends on how much time is involved. The PPM, private placement memorandum, the operating agreement, and the subscription booklet could range 7,500 to 15,000. Then you've got costs for an appraisal and inspection and environmental and surveys. So, you know, there's all these other reports. I'm not exactly sure, Joe, what that breakout was per third party, but I'm sure your listeners can kind of figure that out, whatever's yeah. left over. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The bulk of it, it sounds like, was the legal costs. Yeah. For the drafting of the PPM and the PSA, the purchase and sale agreement. Yeah. And I've always been of one, being a CPA and in that professional environment, I never wanted to kind of put it together myself or try to put it together myself because I'm not an attorney. And I would also suggest and advise your listeners not to kind of piecemeal it. You do need to seek respect of legal counsel, good legal counsel to help navigate the contract and other things, especially raising capital. You're playing in the Securities and Exchange Commission. So you want to make sure you're doing this the right way. So I didn't want to shortchange and maybe I spent a little bit more money on the legal side, but I want to make sure I was protected. And I'm glad I did. It was a cost well spent. Was, I got to learn, but it's an expensive lesson. I wouldn't suggest to anyone <laughs> now to go out and spend that type of cash. It was a hard lesson. Well, that's why we're doing this interview so that the best ever listeners can avoid something like that because we're learning through other people's experiences. The second question I have is on the 270 unit that you said you partnered with others. I want to clarify something for my own purposes. I believe you said you bought it for 4.5 and it appraised for 12 million at purchase. Is that when someone else bought it from you? No, it was a bank REO. So at the time that it went under contract, it was at 4.5 million. But then because as you know, with values of multifamily, it's based on your net operating income and cap rate and things had changed six, eight months after the property actually went under contract. So there's some delays with closing that when the appraisal came back, it appraised at 12 million. Wow. You had it under contract for 4.5 million and then six to eight months later, it appraised for $12 million? Yeah, that's correct. Some of these banks at the time, this was 2010. So different environment than when we're recording this show, of course. Some banks just have some bad assets on the books and they want some quiet transactions that kind of wanted to happen. So some of them at the time were wanting to liquidate to liquidate properties. And to be real clear, Joe, As a disclaimer, I did not find this deal. I wasn't the operator. I wasn't the person kind of putting the deal together. What I was able to do was go through my Rolodex after the 132-unit deal collapsed on me and say, I want to get in this game. I know I could make this thing happen. Who is in my Rolodex that I can add value to them? And my value was to raise capital. I was able to bring some dollars into their deal. 
and be involved and be kind of that person in the back seat as a passive investor, asking questions, understanding the game, how do they do what they're doing and all that other good stuff. And fast forward a little bit, I just recently closed a 556 unit deal and I raised 10 million in 45 days. That just didn't happen overnight. This is a lot of hard work and a lot of uh, kind of dedication, if you will, or determination is probably the better way to say it, is that you're going to run into bumps and bruises along this journey and you need to kind of have some focus and some clarity on what your desired outcome is. And for me, I knew that working 70, 90, 100 hours a week during tax season just wasn't the game that I wanted to follow. I wanted to create my own wealth because I knew my clients were doing it. And I already had the blueprint kind of already in front of me. I just knew I had to take that massive action to get it done. What did that 270 unit sell for when you exited? Well, that's an interesting story because what had happened, and all of us knew this, that we're going into the deal, is that we bought it for four and a half, it appraised at 12, within what's called a seasoning period. So within a 12-month period, the asset was seasoned, and then the operator refinanced the deal and cashed myself and my investors out of the equation. They held the deal and going forward. So basically, mm -hmm. it refinanced back at that same appraised value. So that was pretty cool because I was able to get a nice juicy return as well was my investors and it helped create a track record, a story. And then I was able then to basically slingshot that into my own, hey, this is what I was able to accomplish. Doesn't mean I had to do it all myself. I think again, this is all about leverage and using collectively, how do we create win-win strategy? And, and I was able to help them. They were able to help me and everything's been pretty good there thereafter. In the projections that were sent out to investors on that 270 unit, was it a 12-month, we're going to cash you out projection or was it more of a five, seven years and they happened to come across this so they exited out early than anticipated? Yeah, it was an early exit. It had a shorter window on it. I think it was a 24-month window mm -hmm. and it just happened that I was able to exit sooner rather than later and all parties were certainly happy about that. So now let's go to 2011. And then I want to ask about this 500 plus unit, 10 million in 45 days. But before I do that, 2011, you quit your CPA job and you said there were some challenging times. What specifically was challenging? Yeah. So if you think about my kind of background, my story being a CPA, I'm kind of very conservative and kind of having that W2 income coming in. So I just knew I wasn't where I wanted to be and I pushed all those chips in. So when I wake up the first part of 2012, I'm either self-employed or unemployed, depending on how you look at it, <laughs> to kind of pull myself up by the bootstraps and get out there and get after it. And in 2012, admittedly, Joe, the deals just didn't rain down on me. The capital, private investment capital didn't rain down on me. I had to get out there and really work my strategy and my plan. So my plan did change. Instead of trying to buy large apartment deals, I had to change strategy a little bit to get cash flow. So I started flipping houses. We were doing about one to two houses a month. And that really helped looking back again, as I reflect, that helped me because uh, I was able to do a flip, tell the investor, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy it. We're going to fix it up. We're going to sell it. You're going to get your money back, get a return. And they're like, oh, wow, you actually did what you say you're going to do. Mm -hmm. And then I'm all about communication. So I was bringing them along this journey with me. And then one guy would tell their friend and then their friend would tell another person, hey, you got to talk to Brian about his program. And then that just seemed to snowball. And just some really cool stuff. So again, looking back, it was really hard, dark days, if you will, but you just have to kind of persevere and 
Once you know where you want to go, it's just kind of mapping out that plan to try to get there. And there's multiple ways to get to California from where I'm in Pennsylvania, you know? So you you just got to try to figure out a way to get there. Tell us about the time that was one of the most challenging moments in that period. Sure. I had an investor had invested a million dollars with me over a couple of different deals. And he ended up unfortunately passing away. We had all the paperwork, et cetera, but his family wanted his money back. They were aware of him investing with me, but at the time they didn't understand real estate as well as this particular investor did. So I had to figure out a way to get him paid back over a period of time, which was, that was a little bit challenging, right? You have someone lined up and then could I have taken an approach that we were going to keep his money? Yeah, you could have. Certainly there was documents that would have proved all that out. But at the end of the day, what I've realized is I want to work with people who want to work with me and vice versa. So it just wasn't a fit. And sometimes we just got to go in separate directions. That was challenging back then. Was the million dollars invested in current deals at the time that were being flipped? Yes. Yeah. It wasn't liquid. So talking with the attorney, we had to basically replace that investor with someone else. And it was all transparent. Everyone knew what kind of happened. There wasn't any shadiness happening. Anyone was aware of the situation and then wanted to make sure everything was disclosed. Mm -hmm. Did you have a million in the queue to just replace or what was that like? No, that was that, that's <laughs> luxury I have now. But back then, no. It was creating relationships and making sure that people networking and doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing, I guess, is just dotting the I's and crossing the T's and communicating with people and telling them what you do and how you do it. And educate first is what I'm a strong believer in. Um, so before you try to take someone's money, you want to make sure that it's a fit. Some people who have come to me and said, hey, I want to invest with you. Maybe they don't understand that real estate is illiquid and it could be a five to seven year deal and you just can't like the stock market, call up your broker tomorrow and say, hey, I want all my money back. It doesn't work that way. So that's kind of that education process that, that we go through. As far as creating relationships and networking, what are some tactical things that you do to cultivate your investor group? First, it comes down to what's, in my opinion, what I call the circle of influence. Like who is your, maybe your friends, your family, maybe some of business associates that you know better than others. And the reason I say it that way is because generally speaking, your friends and family, they want you to succeed. So the question that when I first started was, hey, do you know anyone who I can help with real estate investing? And it goes further than that, of course, but they would maybe say, here's one or two folks that you can reach or outreach to. So then that creates your database and you just start creating content and educating them. And then to take that a little bit further, what I've also was doing back then is instead of going to, let's say your local real estate investment group where there are a lot of people in the room maybe that are seeking money. They have the deals, but they don't have the money. Where well, I kind of flipped it around and said, well, where are people that have the money? Where do they hang out? Maybe it's at a charitable event. Maybe it's at a wine and dine event. Maybe it's at an art show or it's kind of flipping the equation around a little bit. Okay, I'm going to go to a place where probably there's not going to be other real estate investors. I can then share my experience with them and they're probably going to be someone that might have some capital they want to deploy. And let's see how we can create win-win. And that's been successful for me as well, just to kind of swim up the stream a little bit, go where other people aren't and go to a different fishing hole. As far as the different fishing holes, what's one specific example? And then I have a couple follow-up questions. What's one specific example of a place that you went to? You mentioned art shows, charitable events, but can you give us one specific thing? 
Back then, no, it was a shotgun approach, man. Hit as many networking functions as I could uh-huh. and creating the database and follow up. I think that's the key is someone that you meet. I don't really want to meet a hundred people. I actually would rather prefer to meet five to 10 people and have engaging conversation, have a a connection. And then on top of that, when I get a business card or something, I put them into my database and send them a thank you note. Hey, enjoyed our conversation or an email. And then periodically, maybe it's 30 days, just give them a call and say, Hey, John, great to meet you at XYZ event. Just wanted to see how you're doing. And it's nothing kind of sleazy or anything. It's just wanting to have a, create a connection and see how we could possibly work together. So my background, again, is being a CPA and helping very high net worth individuals. I've had that experience. And I should disclaim right now, Joe, that anyone can raise capital. You don't have to be a CPA to raise money. Anyone can do this. It's just a matter of you need to have a kind of a plan to get where you want to go. And that's kind of, I'm all about systems and process and checklists, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I kind of put together a strategic plan of, okay, I want to get from here to there. And how am I going to do that? And kind of try to figure it out on my own there. Mm -hmm. Now, do you go to say an art show or a charity event or something like that? No, I don't. You don't. You don't. Um, now I've got a group of investors that I work with and I communicate often and regular with them. And but, know, I'm but, blessed and grateful that they're sharing my name with others. And now I just have that opportunity to share my investment strategy with them. And if it's a fit from an educational perspective, then it all works out. Okay. But previously, did you go to a charity event or an art show or something like that? Back in the day, yes. Okay, all right. So here's my question. We're starting now. That is correct. Okay, so my question is, pretend we're in that scenario. You're at the art show. We just meet. What's the conversation like? It's, hey, how you doing? Kind of get to know you. Kind of come with what we call an elevator pitch, if you will. Or, hey, this is what I do. This is how I do it. Have you ever owned any real estate before? And if they nibble a little bit, they may ask a follow-up question. And then you try to have that conversation. Again, it's creating a connection. And sometimes it's really not ever about real estate. It's about, hey, tell me about your family, your kids. Where'd you go to college? And do you want to create that rapport? Because no one's going to give you, my minimum investment is 100000 No one's going to give you 100000 the first time you meet someone. You got to develop that trust and that credibility. And that takes time. It's not going to be an overnight success. Though. And then, Joe, again, I want to disclaim this just didn't happen overnight. It's been a lot of hard work to get to where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about where you're at now. Recently, you purchased a 500 and how many units? 56 unit deal. 556 unit deal. You said you raised 10 million in 45 days. Of that 10 million, well, first, how many roughly, if you don't know the exact number, roughly how many investors were in that deal? There's about 20, two very large investors who we've done deals before. And then the other are a mixed bag. 18 or so of other relationships that's been created over time. Okay. And of the 10 million, the two very large, are they around what, 7 million a piece or something? Roughly how much did they invest? Their chunk was seven and a half mil. 
Each? And so, yeah, no, okay. no, the total raise was 10 million. So, oh, right, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> got it, got it. I was scaling it up to 20. Okay. <laughs> soon enough, soon yeah, enough. What I found is that most of my deals, I get about a 50 to 60% repeat rate of one investor has done this one and they want to kind of get in the next one. So, again, I'm blessed and grateful that I have the investors that I can just say, hey, I've got this opportunity. We've done a deal before. Here's another one. Do you want to participate? And I've been grateful that that's been able to come together easy. The two investors, the very large investors, obviously not looking for personal identifiable information, but I'm curious, and I'm sure the best ever listeners are curious too, how you met them initially. Again, in networking, I don't know specifically where we would have met because it was been years and years of just, but they'd invest when I first started. They wanted to see what Brian Adams was going to do and how he's going to do it. And a lot of people, when I first was starting, hey, they knew me as a good CPA, but they didn't know me as a guy buying 500 unit deals and, and all this other good stuff. So you know, that took time. Those two, your two largest ones, you don't remember exactly how you met them? We've known each other for years. So I don't know exactly what networking event we would have met at, but huh. we're, yeah, we're good friends. So I don't know exactly, no. All right. That surprises me. But nonetheless, so it was a networking event, some of the things that you described earlier, and then you've got 18 investors, average of 166000 or so per investor in total, the $10 million. And anything else as it relates to raising money that we haven't talked about that you wanted to mention before we ask for your best advice ever? I think the, the best, I guess, suggestion to your audience would be when an investor invests in a deal and you have a fancy pro forma or spreadsheet or the investment offering, investors expect that the deal is going to perform the way it's outlined. When the deal doesn't perform the way that it's heading, you got to be able to communicate the bad and the ugly. And what I mean by that is a quick example. I had a 144 unit deal that had a fire. So that's a material thing that needs to get disclosed immediately to your investor. That has an impact on your financials and your projections. So you want to make sure that your investors are in the loop. If something is not trending and tracking the right way in a deal, you've got to communicate. You've got to make sure that the investors, they're not going to get their cash flow check or distribution quarterlies or whatever the setup of the deal is. If they're not going to get that. You've got to make sure that you're telling that person sooner rather than later. There's no surprises. You want to communicate and communicate often. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I think to know what your why is, what you're trying to accomplish. I was going to do flips. I was going to do wholesale. I was going to do multifamily. I was going to raise capital. I was all over the place before I had a specific, this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do it. So know what you're trying to go after and really know your why. And what I mean by that is wrap emotion really a thought process that you're setting out for. You can spin yourself in a circle. It can be very frustrating. I know that. I did that several years. I just didn't have the direction and focus. And sometimes we get ourselves focused. For me, they're a place of pleasure and pain. And I was good at what my job was. I was doing really well. I was not with my family and my girls and not doing the things that I wanted to be doing. So that pain led me to a place of taking massive action to get things done. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. Give it to me. All right. Let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan 
and conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com. Best ever book you've read? Best ever book. I'm a big fan of the Michael Gerber E-Myth Revisited book. And I'm also a fan of Think and Grow Rich and Tony Robbins guy. I I guess I'm not saying just one. It's just creating a mindset of success. Best ever deal you've done? Best ever deal was in 2014. I bought a 209 unit deal on a direct mail campaign. I bought it for 6 million the day of purchase. It appraised at 7.4 million. 15 months later, I sold that deal for 10.2 million. So that was a really nice opportunity. And direct mail does work. It takes some time, but I found that on letter campaigns. So that, that was a really good deal. What's a tip you have on direct mail to apartment owners? Just don't do one campaign. Don't do one letter because it's a sequence or a series of letters that need to get sent out. If you send one random letter to a person, most likely they're not going to outreach to you. So you have to maybe send a letter every seven to 10 days and then continue to follow up maybe 30 days thereafter with, hey, you know, just want to see if you're still interested because life events happen. I've actually had a couple people call me. They've had my letter for years. They just put it in a file and then something popped up and said, hey, Brian, are you still doing what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. So just be consistent with your direct mail campaigns. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? I think it's just overall mistake, Joe, is that when I first was out of the gates, I wanted to get into this business and I got into a maybe a transaction. I didn't vet my partner as well as I should have, as I would have now. So we're all coming together to get a deal done. And this person claims they can do this and that and the other. And at the end of the day, they just couldn't do it. The advice would be don't rush into getting in a deal just to get a deal. Take your time, make sure it feels right. And that whoever you're going to be working with. Best ever way, the best ever listeners can get in touch with you. Sure. My email is brian at adams, A-D-A-M-S, investorgroup.com. And I always have a free gift. If I could, I have a report on why apartments are the ideal investment. If they want to text I-D-E-A-L-1 to 44222, I'll send them a free report and it's all education. Outstanding. Well, Brian, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for talking about your career path and how you went from a duplex in 2008 to raising $10 bucks in 45 days on a 500 plus unit most recently. The approach you take, getting to know investors, at least initially, going where the people who have money are versus going to local real estate investment groups and the focus on the individual, not necessarily the masses. So meeting five to 10 people versus a hundred. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it, buddy. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com.